everyone. Welcome once again to another episode of Crossover Commerce. This is episode 167 or 167 as we in the biz like to call it uh, of my corner of the internet called Crossover Commerce. I'm Ryan Kramer, the host of this amazing podcast where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon e-commerce industry, but we're going to even expand it even more. More people just in terms of technology, if it applies back to e-commerce and Amazon, this is the place to be. Uh, we go live on this podcast every you know i want to say i always give it a range it's anywhere from two to six we've had as many as six episodes in one week so you're always going to get lots of fantastic content coming from this podcast that being said it's my corner of the internet but i want to go ahead and thank you uh send a quick thank you to our sponsor ping pong payments ping pong payments is not a cross-border payment solution helping sellers in any landscape whether it's on amazon or on e-commerce or really just any sort of business in general doing commerce online, helping them send more money and receive money at a cost-effective rate. Don't do it anymore through the localized bank accounts, international wire transfers, or anything of the sort. Make sure you go with the solution. That's ping pong payments. It's free to sign up. It's cost-effective. It's going to save you money, put it to your bottom line. If you're in a space where you need more money towards your margins, or if you need something that's going to be quick in terms of getting money to your supplier, manufacturer, your VA, whatever it might be, Go ahead and contact our team today, and you can actually sign up for a free account at usa.pingpongrex.com forward slash podcast. That being said, let them know that Crossover Commerce sent you. If you have questions, always reach out to us. Um, all the comments in the sections below in our show notes, you're going to be able to link out to that as well. So thank you, Ping Pong Payments, for that. That being said, episode 167, let's dive right into it. So um, I'm really excited to have people... Um, Quick story before we get into more stories. Uh, this podcast is amazing because we have lots of people reach out, uh, our friends of friends of the show who who see it on chance and say, hey, listen, I have also lots of great content to share with you too. And that's always a fun part of my job as a host. And we're doing this for over a year now. Lots of great people want to share their content and expertise to help other people grow their business. It's not a pitch. Uh, it's just something that they want to help people understand a problem in the space and how either to overcome it or just educate people on it and make their own assumptions. And that's what's the beauty about podcasting is a lot of great content that's shared, um, educational. That, that's what we're all about too. It's something that you can apply to your business, whether it be in the space, and you can apply it today. That's really what it's all about. So if you have your questions and you're watching us live on the social medias, we're going live on again, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. You can ask your questions live for myself or our guests, and that's what's fantastic about this show in this format. Going live, ask your questions. That's a topical. It's applicable to what we're talking about. We're going to make sure we get those answered for you as well. But if you're listening to us on your favorite channel, you can also just share it or tag the guest, um, and we'll make sure that there's ways that you can tag the guest. But today's guest, no longer saying guest anymore. Today's guest is really special because actually um, they're coming from a business with so much background. Her name is Melissa Drew. Um, she works currently at IBM. Yes, IBM, the technology, uh, data, you want to call it uh, the the software or uh, hardware, whatever you want to call it in terms of technology, one of the leaders in the space that brought digital to the forefront. And that being said, we were, we're going to talk about today hyper-personalization, what that means, uh, and really what AI is impacting, on how it's impacting retail and consumers alike. Um, again, technology across the board is going to expand in multiple different ways in the retail store, um, selling online. But how is artificial intelligence going to be effectively um, impacting that, and how do you create custom personalization with that in mind. But our guest today, Melissa Drew, she has 27 years of procurement and experience in the supply chain, believe it or not, um, and uh, industry and consulting uh, across the board in multiple different uh, companies, maybe countries as well. But uh, she's a global leader in consulting excellence and influence as well. I'm going ahead. We had a little bit of an issue with audio, so I'm fingers crossed that we're going to have all that sorted out. Welcome to Crossover Commerce. It's Melissa Drew of IBM. Melissa, it's nice to be able to hear your voice, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Can you hear me? I think we have you. I got you right. Perfect. Actually, we'll already on a roll, right? Your audio is a bit, <laughs> a bit static. That's what I heard on the last podcast. Let me switch it over, too. So if it's a little staticky, I'm going to go ahead and switch it over my microphone. You got me okay, Melissa? Can you hear me oh, a little bit better? Perfect. Perfect. Okay, perfect. 
So I apologize to everyone again. That's the beauty of life. We uh, have some issues. I need to reset my computer, it sounds like. But hey, welcome to Crossover Commerce. It's nice to have Good. Oh my gosh, 167 episodes. That's fantastic. How many years has that been? So uh, for those who are listening, they will know, I say this kind of bit because I think it's a cool pat on the back. I started this in September of 2020, 2020. So wow. just over a year when I did the math of that episode, it was honestly a, I think I did a podcast. It was live every two business days. So we have lots of consistency here. You don't have to worry about that if you're, if you're a guest. That's fantastic. I, I recently heard the term podcast phase. Uh, where a podcast just starts and then fades out, but this is fantastic. Congratulations. I appreciate it. Well, not an issue here. Um, I hear, always hear people run into that wall, right? But mm -hmm. uh, I, I actually started and I thought that would be an issue, but believe it or not, lots of people like saying yes to podcasts, but it's also, there's so much that ties into an industry specific um, podcast. Um, but even you can kind of like uh, draw these great conclusions too, right? Like AI. Uh, which we're going to be talking about today, hyper-personalization. Does mm -hmm. that, how does that tie back into e-commerce? Maybe if I can answer this question, how, what, we're, we're talking with you today because you're an expert in all these different backgrounds and whatnot, you're a consultant, you're all these different things. We're talking about hyper-personalization. So mm -hmm. people might be asking, what, what is that something that you like to talk about? So first and foremost, uh, let's give a quick background uh, on yourself, Melissa. Like what, where, how did you get to where you were at? You're with IBM now, but what's that story beforehand? No, it's it's I, I recognize that no one's path is is ever a direct path from where they began to where they started. I, I started out in management information systems with Auburn University. Um, I was one of those folks that that did not raise my hand and said I wanted to be a developer. And then a year later, I am getting federal grant money and developing the first publicly used uh, automated RFX with the Alabama apparel and textile company. So my my introduction to data was early on, but throughout the course of my journey, it moved from you know manual manipulation of, of that data, and then systems and automation, you know technology procurement systems. Then we moved into business and digital transformations, and then now we're at that intersection where we're applying these cognitive technologies. And so when I define cognitive technologies, it's not the AI that can automatically learn on its own. It's the cognitive technologies like machine language, grammar-based, um, natural language processing. This is the technologies where you need a human to uh, program those algorithms and models, and then you need a human to also intervene and adjust as more data flows in. So I sit there in in the in that that intersection. That's that's amazing. So. Uh that might be like a little over people's heads, but I, I think like it's fascinating to see how your use of technology can can really enhance how systems work, right? Like mm -hmm. at, the, at the core of all, that's what you're trying to do is making things more streamlined or more more effective, right? Would that be the mm -hmm. easiest way or simplistic way to, to say no, what you that's, do? No, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, when we look at the, the agile organization, so the term agile organization was coined around 2015. And the purpose of the agile, you know, the agility was to imply that customers um, were changing their, their demands and their, their habits more frequently. And as a result, corporations and companies had to be more agile to adjust to that. Well, that was back in 2015, but we still have all these gaps that we've not been able to fully meet. And as a result of these new cognitive technologies that maybe have been around for a while, but we're now being able to utilize them because our technology has now caught up where our cognitive technologies can now intersect. So we have faster processing that allows us to support this. So where, you know, 2015, where we wanted to be more adaptable to our consumer behavior now, we recognize that it's not just becoming adapted to the consumer behavior. We now have to personalize how we're interacting with that consumer behavior. And that's where hyper-personalization comes in. Okay. So that, make, that makes sense. This mm -hmm. would be applicable. So if I'm a listener and I'm thinking, where would this be applicable in my life? If I'm a consumer, where would I be most engaging in this kind of technology? Is this on a direct-to-consumer side or where would I, where would I see the effects of this? So I'm going to start by giving a definition between 
personalization, something that everybody is experiencing. And then I'm going to define what hyper-personalization is. And then I'll come back and give everyone a real world example that everyone in this audience would, would be able to recognize. Okay. And probably experiencing right now. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's go ahead and start. So definition between personalization. Yeah. And, uh, and why don't we start that? Yeah. So uh, personalized, personalized, you see this all the time. It's your name, your location. It references browsing history on one particular site. So when you get a personalized email, it's because you went to the Gap or you went to Starbucks or you went you went to some place and it pulled the information on that site. But that doesn't really give you the full breadth of that consumer's experience. And as a company like, you know, the e-commerce companies that we're going to talk about later, that doesn't allow the e-commerce companies to really target your needs. With hyper-personalization, hyper-personalization is now going to say, I'm going to not only get the information from the site you had at the Gap, I'm going to get the information from your site at Amazon. I'm going to get your purchasing information at Starbucks. I'm going to look at all the information that you have across your digital footprint, and I'm going to pull all that together so that I can now focus my personalized experience so that it's specific to you, Ryan, specific to myself, Melissa, specific to Joanne, who's in the audience, specific to Tom, who's in the audience. Each one of us has slightly nuances in how we buy, what our reward preferences are, our communication preferences, our personal purchasing history and profile. And this hyper-personalization is only able to really become fully to its fullest potential because now we have the ability to take all that data into a single location and then synthesize it with using these models and these cognitive technologies that allow us to come back with a targeted hyper-personalized message or hyper-personalized experience in nearly real time. That's amazing. So so that that would be personalization. And I think mm-hmm. that, again, everyone's experienced it on a day-to-day basis, even nowadays. Um, so with with the other end of the spectrum, like the other definition we're going to talk about, well, what's the difference in, and how is that going to apply here? So I'm going to give you two examples. In a personalized experience, you went to go buy a backpack on your e-commerce site, and you got an email that said, hey, you left that backpack in, uh, we noticed that you checked out, but you never bought it. And because you were on that site, they can track how long you looked at the blue backpack versus the red backpack. So then maybe two weeks later, you get another email, again, a personalized email specifically to Ryan that says, not only did we notice that you never bought that backpack, but that particular backpack and the backpack that you were also looking at, they're both on sale in the same color that you were looking at. So that would be a personalized e-commerce experience. Now let's take the same backpack and let's shift it to hyper-personalized. Same scenario, you get an email that references the backpack, But now the backpack is saying, hey, you know, that backpack would be really interesting. It'd be a good time to try that backpack out this weekend on that hiking trail that's two miles from where you live because we noticed that you went hiking there two months ago. And it would also include a picture of the hiking trail, like a view to really get that visualized excitement. And it would tell you what the weather conditions are that weekend so that you would know that it's going to be a good day to go backpacking. So in the hyper-personalized example, it's pulling information from multiple sites that you visited and pulling that information together to then really focus just on you, Ryan, that this is a backpack you want. Not only is it on sale, but you went hiking two months ago or two, yeah, two months ago, and this backpack would be great on that trail. That would be one, yeah. I was going to say, I think the first thing I think about is, holy cow, that's such a difference in terms of how that message gets delivered. But does that, does maybe the second thing, maybe this is myself, is how detailed you got. Is that is that something that everyone can have access to? Or people just kind of like pull back their hands and they're like, if you could go way too detailed like that, maybe for example, yeah. you might scare away somebody. Or you might think somehow you're getting intrusive to me as a person or a consumer. So like, is there, first and foremost, there's a couple of questions there. Oh, there's a lot of questions here. Yeah, I was going to say, so does that, first and foremost, 
Does let me let that? me give you one yeah. more example because I, I want to make sure that we hit everybody in the audience. Let's do it. Because not yeah. everybody goes and buys a backpack. Sure. But I bet you everybody buys coffee. Okay. So let's look at the personalized experience with Starbucks. And again, Starbucks can be Dunkin' Donuts. It could be um, Tom's Coffee. It could be any kind of you know coffee that you buy. When Starbucks was doing the personalized rewards offer, they would send out an email or a reward to your Starbucks app. And it was limited on a very few number of variables where you lived, your purchase history, ge geographic region or city. Now, the challenge with this, and, and I can attest to this, is two years ago, I would receive a reward telling me that if I bought something, I would get more points. But I've never bought that item before. Or maybe I bought it once a year ago. So those rewards really weren't personalized for me. Sure. Well, now what Starbucks has been able to do is because, again, with the ability of collecting a lot of data from multiple areas, those few little variables that we mentioned a couple years ago, Starbucks now utilizes over 400,000 different variables weekly to ensure that I am getting a very specific custom message to me. So now my individual, myself, I receive very specific offers on my preferred location, my favorite orders, my spending habits, past purchases. Um, they've even got a note, um, your Starbucks app can even recognize that if you're on the highway driving and there's a Starbucks within two miles, a reward will pop up specifically for that location because of something that they're currently selling. And right. on top of that, you look at it from the consumers, you know, not the consumer's perspective, but from the organization's perspective, Starbucks has noted that they've been able to increase 24% of the total company transactions are now being taken place via mobile app because of these rewards and personalized, hyper-personalized offers, now Starbucks is saying, well, because 24% of our total US company transactions are taking place via the mobile app, Starbucks is now spending more R&D on the mobile app, not so much on websites and, and other you know, marketing media. Well, that, that's what's so fascinating too, when you, when you go at scale of a company like Starbucks too, mm -hmm. people made the comments of, Hey, I mean, because we are a retail or ping pong's a retail or a financial company, uh, just in terms of the amount of money that is sitting in quote unquote rewards in a, this banking institution, it, it's become theoretically the largest banking institution because of people putting money into it and the transactional data. There's there's so much coming and going, but it's mm -hmm. all it's all given to them to use, like you said, tens of thousands of data points. Yeah. to be so customization we you touched on geo tracking you touched on uh just purchase history you touched on lots of different uh point of uh sale there's so much in terms of which the mm -hmm. data now becomes the creating a customer avatar and you can now do an sop or a you know standard operating procedure of if they bought this drink uh or in there in this locale and they did it on this device then send offer XYZ. Yeah. So you can get and it works. I and it works. <laughs> so, it. so it well exactly, and that's why I think uh, I had this conversation. I was a guest on a, a podcast as well, and we we talked about the hyper utilization of targeting people. Like you said, you can do it on Facebook now. You can do it on all these different platforms. Is there mm -hmm. a point at which it is a line in the sand that is too far, and mm -hmm. at what point is it no longer helpful but almost intrusive to a consumer? Is there, is there a point? Yeah, yeah. So there's, and, and it's it's interesting because the industry term at the moment is the creepy factor. Um, you know, I have these conversations with my father who's 25 years older than I am. And he's just at that barrier that, that you know, right there on the line where this is too much information. Um, he, you know, his culture and his background is that, People don't share that much information with people. And while he likes getting recommendations um, on you know, e-commerce sites or he likes getting recommendations on the Starbucks, when I explained to him where the data was coming from and the fact that he was giving permission without you know, really recognizing that he was giving permission, yeah, it really kind of gave him this really odd feeling that this creepy factor is, is uh, am I being stalked you know, from a, a data footprint perspective? Um, but 
But then on the other side, you know, the feedback from the consumers and, and Amazon did a huge kind of, you know, survey study with their, their own, you know, group. But the feedback from the consumers is they like going to Amazon. They like being able to get those very specific personalized recommendations about products that they didn't even know the product was out there because there's so much data now on the internet and there's so much consumption on the internet. How am I supposed to know if I'm in my little world of the internet? How did I know that what I was looking for, somebody else was selling it, you know, that far down? I mean, so the, the, the Amazon, you know, the way they're doing those personalized recommendations is they're sharing information with you about products that you buy that maybe you didn't realize were already on the internet somewhere else. Right. And, and people are liking that. And the reason why people, I say that is because nowadays with all the new privacy and the revisitation of our terms and conditions, they've updated these terms and conditions. And when you say, yes, I agree to these terms and conditions, there's new clauses buried in there that says that you are willing to give them this information. You're willing to allow them to pull all the information from other websites as long as that information is being used to personalize your experience. So at the right. moment, if you've been, um, say you've gotten, you've gotten pushes from an app or from a website when next time you logged on that says they've updated those terms and conditions, a lot of us still just say, yeah, great, I agree and move on. They don't take the time to read what was being updated. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a couple of different ways we can go in. In terms yeah. of, in terms of security or in terms of just like where is all this data being collected from is there a point at which you know how are these companies getting a hold of it all there's a lot of different ways i would say i, I i'm with you i think i enjoy the customization of it all mm -hmm. but then there's that, that the industry term we can coin and say the creepiness factor of it all mm -hmm. is you always hear it of hey we were talking in a room one time about product infancy or trip xyz or whatever and all of a sudden next time we go to social media or a commerce site and i start to see either ads or pop-ups or something like that in terms of hey you were intrigued by this and had a conversation not in those terms but it references almost a conversation that you have and people are like what the heck mm -hmm. and and it can come from different ways it comes from audio obviously um if you're talking uh, or engaging on a podcast um like we are or it could be something as as your search history, right? Is there a point at which I'm going to go the the security route? Is there a point at mm -hmm. which that data is not being collected uh, to create a customer avatar, no matter who it might be for? At this point in time, at at the moment, the the updates within those terms and conditions specifically added in the the terminology that the data that's being collected will be used specifically to improve your experience, to improve your recommendations. Um, if you find that your data is not being used for that purpose, or you find that you're getting information that doesn't seem relevant to you, that you're, you know, that doesn't make any sense, then, you know, based on our privacy laws, you can immediately unsubscribe or decline. Mm -hmm. And those companies are now it's mandatory, it's, you know, federal requirement that those companies have to remove you off that, that list within 30 days. Sure. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And you would have, and you would need to be protected in that regards, obviously, because you've seen data be sold and repurposed and whatnot. Um, consumer, I mean, we, we've had it, right. Um, there, there's been lots of data collecting in terms of general, in terms of making relevant information possible, for example, um, I know people say um, the cookie-based uh, ecosystem that them is, you know, with Apple and whatnot, that's in Google having all these different kind of back and forth and how much information you're going to be able to like release or get now in terms of those outside third-party issues. Now, people have always been requesting data like this. For example, in the mail yesterday, I got the Nielsen report. That mm -hmm. is something in terms of data, like viewing habits, how often are you going to be um, viewing such programming in your specific area and in theory they're paying you for that information the two dollars in in uh, two dollar bills that they gave us yesterday in terms of just hey we are we're buying information from you in that regards or mm -hmm. feedback and customer journey so either opting into it or by definition 
agreeing to the term, agreeing to the terms. I won't put quotes around that. Um, there's lots of different ways people are still garnering information from you to create that hyper personalization experience. But I, I agree with you that sometimes it goes too far. And and right. I said I had a story for you. Please do. I play yes. I play township with my daughter. It's something okay. that we we go together, we you know, we build, we we you know, township. The mobile app, correct? The mobile app, yeah. And yeah. what surprised me is I'm used to getting requests for my data from e-commerce websites, from Starbucks, you know, I get that from the you know, online bookstore. But what really surprised me yesterday is I got a push notification from Township asking me if they could collect data from multiple sources on my phone for their purposes. And I immediately, okay. you know, I, I paused and I was like, am I reading this correctly? Like this came from the game. Now, in, in my scenario, I declined because I'm playing the game with my daughter. So I don't want sure. any additional, you know. But it's the first time I've really experienced someone asking me about being able to collect data from multiple sources beyond the game for the purposes of a video game. And that that surprised me. So right. for me, I'm starting, I, I see, <laughs> I've experienced where maybe some of that, that data requirement is expanding into multiple areas beyond what I thought would be the norm. Wow. And, it, and then the was, other, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, oh, I was going to say, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, I was speculating in that regards. I'm assuming that would be for ad purposes. If that if that would ring true to you of, hey, we want to make sure we're sending you the right ads. Again, in theory, for the best purposes, and they can serve targeted ads to you for people to purchase through their ecosystem. But again, I understand. Not it's a little yeah, creepy in terms of the game, exactly but sure, yeah. not not sure. I don't care what ad I see in a mobile game. I don't think I want it personalized to me. That's not why I'm there. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's true. Um, and you talked about privacy. I I wanted to go back to that one because there's there's limits. I, I see some really big gaps in in what we're doing with those terms and conditions. You mentioned a minute ago around not only collecting data for the purposes of supporting your recommendations and your, your personalized habits and rewards offers, but also potentially selling that data to the parent company or your parent company is where you currently have that relationship. And as part of your terms and conditions, they're saying that they can use this data not only to support say e-commerce within one of those, you know, I hate to keep using Amazon, but that's such a, a normal common thing, but not only to, to be using it with that company that you have the relationship with, but also to use all of that that with maybe a subsidiary or affiliate that they have some you know investment or stake in. And for me right now, a lot of these terms and conditions, when I started reading them, it's all or nothing. If I want to do business with them, I have to accept the entire terms and conditions and not only allow them to collect the data to support me with that relationship, but in some cases, it's expanding that that footprint into their subsidiaries. So what for needs example, to happen, yeah, yeah what yeah, needs was, to happen is more of a, well, let's go this way, a hyper-personalized view of my terms and conditions. Absolutely, Amazon can take my information because I love what they're doing with it, but absolutely not do I want Amazon to, to share that information with a company that they happen to own. Right, so you can go down the route. We're using Amazon, for example. Amazon knows lots of different companies uh, for lots of different things. Um, their industries span into video streaming to grocery shopping to obviously their subsidiary companies that they actually outright purchased. So you're hey, saying Duke's lab, theory, uh, earlier this year, right? So in theory, yeah. yeah, exactly. So if you're purchasing, if you agree to those terms and it's all or nothing and all you can share that information with, for example, um, Zappos.com, which is a, a shoe, uh, a shoe and footwear, um, e-commerce company. So in theory, mm -hmm. if you're buying lots of different, um, you know, apparel or stuff like that, you can in theory start sharing that information. Say, hey, customer XYZ, buying lots of shoes. Send a targeted email or a uh, a mailer or something like that to them for like a coupon or hey, start shopping as well on Zappos um, mm -hmm. or 6 p.m. or anything that they might own. So that it's interesting to say all or nothing. So. So where where do people go from there? Is it just the share? Like on the apps right now, I think I have, a, I have an Android. You can just share your targeted information just with the Zappos one time, 
or forever when you open the app or at all times? Is that where you start to get more hyper-personalized in that regards or what are the steps to go there? At, at the moment, at the moment, the organizations are responding to the consumer and the consumer is not having any challenges or pushing back on accepting the, the, the updated terms and conditions. So at the moment, we're kind of at that stabilization point where, yeah, some of us are kind of seeing the foreshadowing of the future where it's getting a little, you know, the creepy factor, or maybe it's going to go a little bit too far. But at the moment, the majority of the people that are online shopping are signing off on those terms and conditions. And those are the individuals that are saying, I'm okay with this as long as the data is being used to support me and my experience. I think what's going to happen is because those terms and conditions are all or nothing, people are going to start pushing back, not right now, but in the near future. And then we're going to start seeing changes in those terms and conditions that are a little bit more, you agree, check yes here if you agree that we can use your data for this, you know, for this website for your experience. Check here if you're okay that we send your data to other companies that we own or have an affiliate with. Check here if you're okay that we use your data for the, you know, the mailing, um, direct mail, you know, the catalogs that you get in the mail. Amazon just sent me a catalog yesterday. I didn't even know they had catalogs. They do for Q4. Oh they uh, they start sending those out. So like the good old, uh, I would say I would say Toys R Us holiday shopping guides. Mm -hmm. Well, it's probably a holiday shopping guide. I'm, I'm excited to hopefully maybe get one today too. Now that you mentioned it, I'm sure. And it's it's very personalized. It has. Um, it has lots of, uh, this is really a good marketing. The catalog at when I live, you know, sipped through it yesterday, um, about every 30 pages, there's an activity for, for my, my children. There's a coloring activity. And then 30 pages later, there's a um, crafts activity. 30 pages later, there's a puzzle. 30 pages later, stickers. They've actually got, you know, two options of stickers in there, which is interesting because even though it was sent to me and has my name on it, it's really been marketed to get my children into the catalog so that they can play, but also see things that they want for the upcoming holidays and Circle say, hey, mom, this is what mom. I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. I mean, it was exactly. really, really creatively done from a marketing e-commerce kind of sales perspective. I was going to say, is there a step further where there's a QR code or it can send you directly to that on your on their app if they scan it? I don't know. See, now I feel like I need to run in there and go grab it. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, this is this is like really people on the hook uh, for all of our listeners here, yeah. at least in the United States, I would say, be on the lookout maybe for a targeted Amazon account. I think it's so fascinating too. Yeah, I would agree. I know when I was a kid, I would always, in that regards, circle everything, say like, this is what I'm intrigued by. It's almost like my wish list. And now yeah. Amazon is creating an offline wish list. It'd be interesting to see instead of just search find buy essentially, Mm -hmm. um now it's hey send directly to these um to the product listing and that that's a point of contention where you can gather that information as well know mm -hmm. how, how many people are driven to that page and and purchase from there so again another data point and say how effective is that marketing um that we did quite well and the success yeah. rate is high now i can sell space in this 100 page catalog down for brands who want to be successful and get in front of people we'll, we'll send out the mailer but hey you have the ability to convert a high percentage of your sales simply through that. So that's interesting that they're reverting back to almost the quote old like mentality of mm -hmm. circle and tell mom and dad, this is what I mm -hmm. want for Christmas or yeah. holidays. Yeah. Before we shift into some of the, I mean, cause we've been talking very positively, very forward thinkingly, very innovative. Um, I want to just emphasize that with some of the statistics. Sure. But then I think there's a whole nother side to this, which is, is it, are, are we, are they getting the right data? And right. Yeah. I would agree. That, that's yeah. why I would take that too. Yeah. So right now consumers have this philosophy, see me, know me, understand me and show me. And they're, they're emphasizing that with the, the statistics they're saying, you know, 59% of the consumers believe it's extremely important that brands make their needs heard. 85% uh, of the people that was surveyed believe that the brands need to align to their values in a significantly better quality. 
more consumers are ranking brand reputation, service, personalization, and brand loyalty more important now than they did a year ago. So every time there's these surveys that are going out there, we're still hitting high numbers, you know, high percentages where the consumers really, st they still are want to be engaged by the brands. They want to be engaged with those, those personalizations. And those personalizations are going back to the consumer wants you to see them, know them, understand them, and then show them that you know them. Sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are all great statistics and I would agree. It's, you want people to have that engagement factor and people know that they can get in front of and make their voice be heard. I think, I think that's something yeah. that people just expect now and then will continue to rise um, as a, hey, my voice needs to be heard, whether it's on social media or it's on, um, you know, just in customer survey or ratings or new views on Amazon listings. Mm -hmm. That can be the positive or the negative that hits a brand and it can quote, go viral or it can impact their sales and whatnot. So I would agree, it's important. So you alluded to it, there's a negative side to it and there's a scary side to it. What, what are those, what are those things? Like help me figure out and explain to the person, Hey, maybe it's too much at this point. Yeah. So there, there is, you know, there's always the, there's pros and cons of everything. Sure. And the reason why hyper-personalization is more available now than it was even a year ago is we've got companies that are collecting multiple data sources, you know, the 400,000 different variables of of data that's being collected for starbucks to make sure that you get that hyper personalized experience in the rewards app i interviewed a company a couple weeks ago and they said that the minimum number of data sources that they're pulling to ensure that they have a comprehensive consumer data footprint is 130,000 data sources and that's not just the data sources that's being created from their website that's external data sources that's collecting Google searches. That's collecting every piece of data that they could possibly come up with. And they've got 130,000 data sources. So one of the things that, that we've noticed in this is not all data is equal. So for example, a friend of mine um, recently, her father passed and she was out there on, on you know, the webs, websites looking at funeral services. Next thing she knows, because of her search history with Google, somehow that data got pushed out to other organizations and she was getting flooded with phone calls and mail and direct mail via email about caskets and funeral services for herself. She's like, man, I'm only 30. This is, this, I don't need this. But, but she doesn't understand. She, she can't find a way to un, undo it. So right. Part of, yeah, so part of that experience is, yeah, we're out there searching, but sometimes we're not searching for ourselves. You know, especially if you have a family, you're searching on behalf of somebody else who maybe doesn't have the time to do it. And then that search is now being correlated to you. And then you're getting flooded with all this additional information and content that's not even relevant to you at all. And, and you can't find a way to stop it. And then the other component to this is, even though we've got 130,000 data sources in this one example, not all data is equal. So I could go out there and, and search on information around, you know, my mountain laurels and wondering why they're yellow leaves, but there's so much information out there that I'm overwhelmed with it. Versus the other half is I've got so much information out there, but not all the information is going to be exactly what I need to make the right decision about that individual. That makes so I'm sorry, I'm processing through that and I want to make sure. Yeah. 130,000 data, data sources is one company confirmed. Yes. It's almost at, at a certain point, what other, like what kind of data like makes it differentiating from one person to another. So part of me is like, what's relevant? Like you said, I think relevancy mm -hmm. is the biggest thing that's I'm really getting hung up on. I can't imagine that there's 130,000 unique data points about creating an avatar for for me myself that would be relevant to potentially say is this a customer for my for us or or not to make those yes. quite honest decisions like I said, you you can probably get my age my um you know locale if i'm married or not my income there's no way i can't even imagine what 130,000 different unique sources 
would tell you that would be distinctively different from one mm-hmm. to another. But is there is there anything that would that would be or if I shopped on there, if I is that yes or no, that would be a data point. Like I, I can't imagine that would be relevant to this company. Yeah. And that goes back to not all data is equal. Not only right. is it a lot of data, but then are these companies actually collecting the right data that's going to make an informed decision that's going to allow them to, you know, personalize, um, you know, the experience for me. And with Starbucks, it's a little bit easier because they're collecting, you know, 400,000 variables, 400,000 data points that even though I may not need all 400,000 because I think I'm pretty simple with what I order and I'm pretty, you know, yeah, your go-to. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much got my go-to thing, but but the 400,000 data points is supposed to be able to support the hyper-personalization for all types of buyers and purchasers. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about not data's, um, not all data is equal, so let's take this one step further. The um, I don't know if you heard it, it was on the news this week. Um, I think it was Wendy's, was one of the, it could be Wendy's, but it was a fast food restaurant that said that they're now going to be including AI along with visual recognition at the drive-through so that you don't even have to talk to a person it will it will scan your license plate your make and model of a car it will take a visual image of you using visual you know recognition vocal mm. recognition to check and see what your past history of purchases were to automatically have hey you know before as as i'm driving up to the drive-through hey here's everything you purchased from us last time do you still want all this or do you want to change it? So I can roll up to Wendy's drive-in. I can, uh-huh. they're going to say your past order was this, your junior bacon cheeseburger, your spicy chicken nuggets, you got a large mm-hmm. Coke. Just because they can look at facial recognition. And facial recognition, that. they'll scan your license plate. We already have license plates being scanned when we go through toll booths. Right. We've, we've completely gotten rid of the people at the toll booths because we can automatically scan your car and your license plate, even if you drive through 70, 80 miles per hour. Right. The iPays or whatever technology, you just have the sensor mm-hmm. and it charges your account mm-hmm. and whatnot. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I know that that's interesting that fast food would do that. So yeah, where does, but where does, there's a, there's a story here though. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. if fast food is able to, cause we're going to bring this back to e-commerce. If fast food is able to successfully launch this and remove the individual, then that means that the next time you go to a physical store, they can scan you, they can get your vocal responses. And before you walk in the score, they could have a hologram that pops up and says, hey, Melissa, we noticed that online you purchased uh, this sweater and I'm walking into the Gap and I ordered something online at the Gap. We actually have this sweater here. Would you like to see it in a different color? Again, moving that hyper-personalization because right now, hyper-personalization is data-driven on a website, in an email, maybe in a direct mail catalog. But where the technology is going is it's increasing that hyper-personalization to be something even more significant than what we're experiencing today. Right. I mean, you even start to see it alluding uh, and alluded to like an Amazon Go uh, shopping thing. For example, if you're tied to a you're tied to your your Prime Store account and whatnot. And all you have to do is literally just pick it up and walk out. You don't even have to engage with an individual. They just know what you're taking, who you are because of your data point. You might have to scan something, but mm-hmm. I mean that, that that's that's on that way. So I guess most of with a, a little bit amount of time we have a little bit uh, mm-hmm. left here. You're working on all these components, correct? Like you're you're associating like where it's almost like with great power comes great responsibility, right? The whole yeah. adage of. Uh, we want to use technology for good, not evil. If, if there's a pro, there can always be a con. So, what are mm-hmm. like? What's the end game for for companies like yours that might be creating these kinds of personas in this technology and availability um, for things out there? I think what's really interesting, and and we haven't really thought that far out yet, but the whole idea of hyper personalization is to personalize your experience. But if we continue to go kind of what the fast foods are doing and take that same technology for the brick and mortar stores, then that hyper-personalization is actually taking the person out of the hyper-personalization, which is kind of interesting. We're not quite there yet, but 
the technology is so fluid. I mean, just in the past year, we've really been able to spend more time on vocal recognition, um, looking at the emotions, uh, reading not only your facial features, but being able to hyper-personalize your experience. You know, another example, and I'm, I'm sorry, I keep telling, giving examples, but uh, going back to e-commerce on the website, you go to, you know, a, a website where you're looking to buy something and through your camera, it recognizes that you're not feeling good or you're not smiling. And it might ask you some questions about how you're doing today and how it can help you, even though you're there to buy a sweater online. So it's it's go. interesting that we've got all this technology. We just need to kind of what you said, the responsible AI, AI for good, but really balancing how far is enough going to be where we've removed the person out of that personalized experience. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that that's, this is the whole adage of technology and how far is too far and what are you streamlining? What are you removing? Because ultimately that, that could be at the result of an individual, like personal greeting or mm -hmm. exit. the greeter at Walmart no longer is there. It could be a hologram and each person gets their own little greeting and saying, hey, Ryan, we know you came in for groceries and that one item for the party you have later this week or something mm -hmm. made up along those lines. That that's gonna be an aisle like seven or eight. That that to me sounds almost helpful. But then you you try to start thinking about like, well, how did they get that I was gonna have a party later this week, and how did they know I was gonna do? I'm here for these things. So again, it, it's yeah. that it's that nice line between are we just accepting of it because now it's being served at some sort of scale, and that's just we're used to it by now. We have we've lost our our feelings are kind of that that edge, if you will, that we've mm -hmm. always had is like something's wrong. Like I don't know what it is, but it doesn't feel right, or yeah. we're just kind of numb to it after a certain point. So if you get used to it over time, maybe you're just numb to it after a while. So yeah, is it that's that's where you see it uh, going long terms and right. So what's exciting? I, for I you, think I all of this yeah. is going to be dictated by the consumer. Um, at the moment, everyone's going to keep moving in this direction until the consumer changes its mind. But so what, I think yeah. yeah. I was going to say, so what's exciting for you right now, like as we're kind of like wrapping this up, like before it's happening, you'll see lots of different uh, customizations, personalizations. Like you said, you got a, a, an interest, uh, like you got a catalog for that. What, what's exciting for you in the space right now that, that kind of gets you up in the morning and are excited to work on or talk about as well? I, I think this is a really interesting topic because at the moment we're very focused on hyper-personalization in e-commerce, which is where we've seen this grow quite exponentially in the past 12 months. But now I'm seeing healthcare wanting to look at hyper-personalization for its patients and using more technology to try to make patient diagnosis and that personalized experience for the patient. So it's it's interesting. We, we started in e-commerce and it's going to continue to grow because that's where the consumer demand is. But I'm starting to see the same concepts and technology moving out into other sectors healthcare's next and then I, i'm seeing it in automotive is probably the third wow i mean i'm excited i'm excited about the future but i think that's so fascinating to hear those segments again where demand is it's almost where where do you want that next step to be helping people i think that's always like the first thing right is mm -hmm. how do we help solve this problem but then it kind of has these these unforeseen effects if you will almost like with social media creation or personalization, it was created to stay in touch with those long-time friends. Then you have this like underlying effect of, uh, you know, all these kinds of other problems that kind of stem from that. So again, yeah. with every pro comes con, hopefully all this power is coming useful. I think it's really exciting and fascinating. I'm gonna say fascinating because that can go either way. Um, it is. We'll have to keep an eye on it. It's fascinating, but I think what we've highlighted here, if I kind of summarize it, is that not all data is equal. And everything that we've talked about pushes out even deeper into security and privacy, pushes out even more into data ethics, pushes out even more into data bias. Everything that we've talked about is like the, the baseline of, of the e-commerce, you know, hyper-personalized experience. But because of some of the things that we've touched on, there's this circular, you know, around the, the heart of that, which is all these other components that we're still trying to figure out and they're still fluid. Fascinating stuff. I I love it. Uh, Melissa, I know I've taken way more of your time uh, than than I should. 
Uh, but if who knew we could talk it, a whole hour on this topic? Hey, like, I told you, I told you before we uh, started pre-show. Uh, <laughs> talking an hour is not a problem for me anymore. Uh, this podcast <laughs> is always super fascinating, and I will get every ounce I can out of my guests. But that being said, with people, if they want to reach out, they have questions, they want to get uh, maybe a little bit deeper than what we did in this last hour or so, this last yep. episode. How do people connect with you? What's, what are those best ways or um, to ask questions? LinkedIn. Um, I am completely open on LinkedIn. I have communicated multiple times that I am freely open, love virtual coffees. I have no problem sharing my knowledge. That's the whole point of how we're going to be able to move forward together. And then I'm also associate editor for AI Time Journal. So some of these topics that we've talked about, the data bias, the we're exploring those deeper in, in the AI Time Journal as well. Very cool. I need to be a subscriber to that too, because that, that's <laughs> something that I'm continuously uh, fascinated by as well. So there's again, a lot to unpack. Yeah. Again, I'm going to keep using fascinating, but hey, thank you for hopping on again now, friend of the show of Crossover Commerce. Uh, Melissa Drew, thank you so much for uh, coming on. This was great. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much. And again, thank you everyone else who tuned in live or uh, just watched uh, or listened to our podcast. Uh, this is, again, my corner of the internet that I like to call Crossover Commerce, where we take the, again, and I explained this on another thing earlier today, Crossover uh, in the terms of ping pong, it's going to be your weakest point of your game. And I think being able to talk about the strengths uh, in the industry and where you can use information like we uh, get from our guests on this space is they're going to strengthen that that part of your quote unquote game, or in this case, e-commerce uh, in general. Super fascinating stuff. I'm going to keep saying fascinating a lot this uh, episode and, and see how many times it can be said, but how, how does the industry change? How do we use technology for the betterment of, again, consumers? How is the customer going to dictate where technology needs to go or wants to go? I think I think companies like IBM and other ones in the space, as technology develops, hopefully we don't get numb to it. We, we still want to have those barriers up that says, hey, this is a little creepy, uh, or this is a little bit more um, pushing that boundary. It's too much. But maybe like maybe in general, as we continue to go down these passive efficiencies, personalization, hyper-personalization, as we like to talk about today, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I, I think it'll be fascinating to see. Again, there it is again. Uh, a, a virtual assistant coming up to me and saying, hey, you don't look so well, or you might be feeling well today, or you came back and they already have my, uh, I'm going to Wendy's and they're taking my order before I even know what I want to order. Because most of the time it's, who knows, it's, it's um, but maybe they do. Maybe Wendy will know, uh, Wendy's will know before I will know in that regards. But thank you again, Melissa, for hopping on today. Again, everyone, this is Crossover Commerce episode 167, presented by Ping Pong Payments. This is my corner of the internet. We have great guests that come on every single week. And then tomorrow, and today was no exception, tomorrow would be even better. Uh, I won't say better. We also fantastic because we have, and we'll be talking about insights to building a foundation of successful brands online. We're talking with Matt Parker, Pinformative Group. We're talking Pinterest tomorrow. So driving traffic from Pinterest, how Pinterest is actually evolving in terms of e-commerce, uh, but also as a social media platform. So we're going to be talking along those lines tomorrow. Um, but if you're a guest of the show, again, make sure you subscribe to our social channels, subscribe to our podcast, wherever you might listen to it. There's lots of great content on as well. And you can find us at usa.pingpongmax.com forward slash podcast. Thanks everyone for tuning in to Crossover Commerce. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care.